Welcome to episode 94 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. We're coming to you on another Thursday evening, this time without uh, a game, which means there's no game we need to drill into, especially because the last game is maybe one uh, best not drilled too deep into. A bit of a grim one on Wednesday night. The one thing I want to say about that before we kind of dive into what we're doing for today is that I've been banging the Zach Pop is good drum, and now (laughs) his stats are going to be totally busted for a few weeks, but my feeling is... The pitch to Jose Abreu was a good pitch. He got bad luck there, and then Simber screwed him over. So I'm not abandoning the Zach Pop is good bandwagon. I think he had a bit of a rough go there, but ERA is going to be gross for a little bit now. I uh, I can neither agree nor disagree because I uh, turned off the TV in disgust at uh, <laughs> you know not not after the the failure to score uh, with the bases loaded and nobody out, uh, which was you know it's like I mean if you could think of the three worst outcomes of watching a game on TV or watching a game at all. Uh, your team can't hit for the entire night. You get a situation like that where it's, you know, bases loaded, nobody out, you can't push a run, run across. And then also your, blow, your, your bullpen blows it up. Like there's, there's not a lot. I mean, I could think of a game in October where maybe worse things happen, but in terms of like regular season baseball TV enjoyment, uh, that's a real trifecta of, uh, Things that will make a game grim, as you say. All right. We're going to start on a not particularly grim note. We're going to look <laughs> at uh, some of the guys who are having great starts of the year. You know, Matt Chapman has dominated that conversation. But the two, you know, the long-term face of the franchise guys, Vladdy and Bo, both having great starts. Bo's got, you know, kind of the same stats he had in September when we said, wow, this is a crazy September. He'll never do this again. He's basically doing the same thing again. He's hitting... 386, 421, 619 since last September. So that's like a third of a season now, 229 plate appearances. Uh, he's got a league best expected batting average. I think it's 386 as well, uh, which is kind of wild that he's, uh, you know, he's, you know, he's not going to hit 400 necessarily, but the fact that he's, you know, flirting with those type of numbers and earning it, you know, not getting a lot of flukes going his way, really impressive. And then Vladdy, you know, the batting eye is something we talked about a ton last season, that being a big factor in him not having as strong a year. His numbers aren't as amazing as Bo's, just in terms of, you know, his the home runs haven't really come in bunches yet. But the walk to strikeout is close to one. He's got a launch angle of 12, which is really big for him. Mm-hmm. And he's had a little bit of bad luck. Like his expected numbers are a little bit better than what we've seen from him. So when you see those two guys, which start impresses you more? Uh, very interesting question. Um, I guess it's Bose because I was more inclined to uh, not necessarily believe what happened in September as opposed to the rest of the, the regular season last year. Not to say that I thought he was a league average hitter, which he was basically until mid-August. But um, yeah, I, I, it feels it feels like this has been some sort of a step forward and maybe he needed that uh, you know little trying stretch to, to figure something out. Uh, but like you say, I mean, that's incredible that uh, that his batting average is that high, but his expecting batting, batting average is that high as well. And, they, you know, they haven't been cheapies. They haven't been flares. It's, it, you know, the thing that he does is unique, obviously, or, or you know, fairly rare, you know, just, just inside outing everything, going the other way, uh, getting into deep counts and fouling balls off. And, and you know, we know what the bow thing is. Uh, and, you know, in, in concept, it seems like, okay, man, if you can make it. But then he's, when you see him making it work, you're, uh, uh, I, I think it's impressive. It's very impressive. And obviously... Um, 
I like I don't know that it's as durable as say having an incredible batting eye the way Vlad does or you know being able to strike the ball as hard as Vlad does. Um, but but that's just that that maybe adds to why I'm more impressed by Bo because uh, Vlad is just kind of doing Vladdy things and yes he did get out of the the uh, the command of the strike zone last year a little bit. I remember definitely just anecdotally feeling like you know there were calls he was that he was not getting you know call where he had to now feel like he needed to expand the zone because umpires were making bad calls and it felt like it got into my head so maybe it could get into a player's head too. I mean I think I'm you know uh, I'm a pretty good judge of the strike zone when I'm standing up there right like. Uh, but no, I, but you know, so it is possible for Vlad to not be like this. Like this is definitely a step forward in terms of, uh, his ability to control the zone and, and to avoid strikeouts. But, uh, that just feels sort of natural to me. And what Bo is doing feels like, oh, okay. He can do this for a prolonged period of time. That's sort of like that. That's like a, uh, really high percentile outcome for him. Even, even as somebody who always thought he was going to be, you know, a star level hitter. Yeah, I think you mentioned the durability of what Vladdy's doing is, I think it's a good way to put it, because when I see what he's doing, I almost feel like the best is yet to come with him, right? Like the yeah. power hasn't really come through, you know, his ISO, I believe is 135 today. It's not going to be that, you know, if it was double that at the end of the year, I wouldn't be shocked necessarily. So with him, it's more, wow, it seems like he's going about things the right way, as opposed to, wow, Vladdy is having this unbelievable start to the season. It, I mean, it depends, you know, impressive is subjective, right? So it is impressive that he's going about things the right way, but it's not necessarily what he's doing is blowing us away. With Bo, yeah, I didn't think he could continue going like this. And the fact that it's all well-learned and the strikeout rate is significantly down, right? Mm. Like that's what he was at the end of last year. He really brought the strikeout rate down because when he puts the ball in play, he's one of the best guys at turning that into hits because he, he sprays the ball everywhere he takes it to the opposite field. You know, he's got a little bit of speed if, uh, in terms of beating the occasional hit out as well. He has this profile where, yes, if the ball gets in play, you feel good about what those outcomes are going to be. And in the past, the skepticism was, okay, here's a guy who doesn't walk, who strikes out a fair amount. He's really got to have power if he wants to be that elite guy. And he's shown that power. But in terms of, like, is Bo going to be a really elite hitter? there was a, a pretty high power threshold he had to hit to make that happen. And he generally did, although not really at the beginning of last season. And if he's going to strike out at a rate like this, the margin for error with him is just so much higher because the balls are going in play all the time. And yeah, it's not going to be a, an average around 400 necessarily, but his BABIP has always been high. And that really excites me with Bo, the idea that the balls in play tend to result in good outcomes. And if part of that profile is no longer we have to live with the idea that he's going to strike out a lot and not walk very much, then his ceiling is so much higher. And I'm not saying that this is for sure. And this is what's going to happen and carry through the season. But from an ID ideation standpoint, the idea of a bow who doesn't strike out is unbelievably dangerous. Yeah. And you're right to point like a third of a season isn't nothing. I mean, it's not a ton, but it's not, you know, it's very easy to get skeptical about things at this point of the year, you know, Oh, it's, you know, was it May, uh, April April twentieth? Whatever the whatever whatever the hell day it is, uh, it's still very early in the season. But when you combine now, you've got over two months worth of data. You have six weeks at the end of last year, you know, three weeks or whatever it is uh, started this year. You know that is starting to compile into you know a a thing, uh, and it's still sort of uh, precarious in terms of durability, like we were saying before. But uh, 
but yeah, it's it, it it is exciting to think about the possibility of what you know, uh, uh, Bo at his peak being you know as good as he is capable uh, would be because you know we're not hearing the Bo and two gripes this year. We're not <laughs> hearing about um, you know just 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 the weird uh, the weird swings and the you know the, the just 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 hacking away, which has felt like a lot last year. And he can do that. He can get away with that. But we haven't had we haven't had to have Buck like reassure people. Oh, that's what. That's when he's at his best when he's uh, when he's got two strikes on him, which is you know obviously nonsense, but kind of uh, uh, one of those fun little buck foibles to hear. Uh, so yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's pretty exciting, but it also like you say, uh, I'm not not expecting a trough at some point. Yeah, and it's also just fun for the conversation around Bo to be around his special bat because, and I'm not saying that he's <laughs> yeah. become he's become a good defender because he's a below average MLB shortstop defensively. I think that's something everyone can kind of agree on. And if anything, there's probably been too much discussion about if he can improve and how he can improve and what how he can do better because we just know that the aging curve defensively, like guys, don't really get much more athletic and. There are some exceptions like Marcus Simeon and whatnot, but generally speaking, guys don't just suddenly get good at defense. And for whatever reason, because people have the idea that Bo is young and because he's talented and we think of him as a good athlete, I think there was this frustration and hope that he would be better. And I don't think that was necessarily fair. He kind of is what he is. And it's just, I'm not saying that conversation isn't valid in terms of what he brings to the table defensively. Like it's the criticisms are legitimate but I just have found that conversation exhausting because there's just no new, de- you know, we're like four or five years into this. There aren't, there haven't been any new developments. So uh, it's just nice to get away from that from just a personal standpoint. I would, I would say though, I, you're right. And it can be exhausting, but you know, for me and for and with what it, Bo, when it comes to Bo and his defense, like a lot of it isn't necessarily physical, which you know that you know there's a finite amount of time where the athletic skills have, but it's like a lot of his decision making. And I felt it's been a little bit better this year, and that is maybe an area where he can improve, where he eats throws instead of trying to make spectacular plays, and just tighten that up can just push him from the below average to the passable to the above average, perhaps you know depending on how how often those. Uh, those decisions kind of uh, come back to bite him in terms of where the metrics think he is, and so there's, I, I still, I still have some hope, I guess, is what I'm saying, which is probably incredibly dumb. I've have been burned by Teoscar Hernandez too badly, <laughs> just identifying him having all the tools and him being like the good guy who works hard and wants to be good, and it just doesn't work out. I mean, it may well be that Bo will improve, but it just you just rarely see it. You rarely and see, it's, see and, guys who figure out defense. Yeah, and it's like when he was a prospect when he was a draft prospect it's like plays with his hair on fire probably a second baseman and it's like you don't really see anything different there all these years later but the bat is different and that's what's fun and that's what we get to talk about today which is nice i do want to check in with the rotation a little bit because it's just been a weird little stretch here like if you look at the overall numbers the blue jays rotation era right now sits at 535 that's not good but there's been a little bit of a Jose Barrios in 2022 effect with it where they've had some just brutal starts. Like there's a cut like Bassett's first start, yeah. Gosman's last start, uh, a couple of Manoa blowups. Like it seems like more often than not, they've actually gotten relatively passable starting pitching, but the overall numbers are what they are. 
And in the last couple of weeks, you had the little, you know, the little inversion here, right? Where people are suddenly <laughs> feeling good about Jose Barrios. The people are suddenly feeling good about Yusei Kikuchi. And it's the guys at the top of the rotation uh, where there's a the question. I personally, and you can, you can push back on me if you want. Personally, I'm throwing out the Gosman thing. I, mm-hmm. I'm not worried about Gosman. I know there's been some velocity wobbles a little bit, but I don't know. There's nothing there that gives me panic. For me, it's more like, where are we with Manoa and Bassett? And, and where are we in a more positive way for Rios and Kikuchi? Let's start those last two guys, because that's uh, where suddenly... I mean, it's amazing how quickly things happen, right? Like, if you told me before the season, you know, three weeks in, people are going to be saying a lot of great stuff about those two. I would have been surprised, but here we are. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not sure exactly how it's happening. You know, you, I get uh, suspicious when you hear quotes like we heard uh, after Wednesday's start from Barrios, you know, him talking about, you know, confidence and attacking guys and, and Schneider talking about that. And it's like, okay, well, so you don't know any better than we do what, <laughs> why this has worked so well. Because uh, I assume, you know, uh, I don't know. I think that, that that to me is kind of like words to what that's what you mean you mean you don't know what the hell you're talking about because I mean, they're, they're they're always attacking they're always confident. come on well they're always it. confident when things are going well that's for sure. that's true i mean look i i say that and i think back to you say kikuchi's last year and then okay maybe maybe confidence is a thing and i'm not discounting it as an element but i think you know the execution of Barrios's pitches has been uh, really the better thing it's it, it, it's weird like I looked into it I only was able to you know I wanted to get a post up after the game last night so you can only sort of uh, just go with your gut and, and what the the baseball savant numbers and fan graphs numbers are telling you uh, and what you saw on the screen when you watched or if you watched in person uh, and and it, it was a little confounding you know the the slurve was just not hit hard last night he had a bunch of uh, he had some swing and miss on that the sinker which is a pitch that was hit really hard not as hard as the four seamer which they you know he experimented going back to a little bit more um, and a couple of starts this year you know the sinker was maybe the better one and then he moved gravitated towards that was really good last night um, and I don't know that I can tell you exactly why, uh, but, you know, I think it's, I don't know, I don't know if it's a matter of tunneling or if it's like, you know, you, well, they have to work off each other, they have to play, they play off each other, and that makes it trickier for batters, uh, but what I, whatever it was, it was different than what he was doing in the previous start, which was, you know, the changeup worked really well for him, and, uh, and, and, you know, so I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's just going to have to chase, <laughs> chase whatever is working uh, every time out, like, it would be, I would feel more comfortable if you could really point to something like, okay, he's commanding this particular pitch well, and everything sort of flows and follows off of that. Uh, I didn't really see that. You know, I didn't see, I can't see everything, especially when I'm kind of like imposed time constraints on myself. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's weird. I'm happy to, I'm happy to enjoy it while, uh, while it lasts. But I, uh, it it doesn't feel like, you know, I mean, well, like Gosman is a really simple guy and I'm with you. I'm not pushing back on that because I think, you know, he kind of just wasn't ready at the first of the the start of the game there uh, on Tuesday night and the fastball came up and the splitter command was fine. And it just, you know, it just, the damage got done before he really was able to write the ship. And that's just not something that's really going to happen very often. Uh, But he's a simple guy, you know, the splitter, the fastball, and sometimes a slider. Uh, You can kind of tell when it's working, when it's not. With Barrios, it's a little trickier. Um, Jesus, with Chris Bassett, it's like it's like you're 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 playing 4D chess. But uh, so I, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe you have a better answer than I do because I'm not sure why it's worked so well these last couple of stars because it's looked different for Brios, but it certainly has worked. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point, is that it's not like, okay, Barrios has clicked in adjustment Y, and after he has done this, then we can see the great results. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you kind of zoom out a little bit, he's getting he's getting more whiffs this year. That's a big deal, right? Like, people mm-hmm. talk about the hard con. I mean, everything he did last year was a problem. And I'm not saying that to be, like, <laughs> glib or anything, but, like, there yeah. there was just nothing that he was doing that was effective. Like, he was getting hit hard, and he wasn't missing bats. Like, his control was kind of fine. He didn't walk a bunch of guys. But this year, the the strikeouts have come significantly more than they did last year. I think that's something that he can point to. The whiffs are there. Like, right, th- right now, his whiff percentage is 76th percentile. That's really good for him. If anything, that means there might be more upwards pressure on that strikeout rate, which is more kind of average at the moment. I mean, one thing we can agree with Barrios is that, you know, the slurve, as it's been reclassified after much discussion is his best pitch. It's his best pitch mm-hmm. by a significant margin. And this year he's throwing it more kind of 40-ish percent of the time as opposed to more 30% of the time as he did I think, in the it, was, past. I think it was 49 last night. It, yeah, it was up last yeah. night. Um, yeah. But I mean, on the whole season. So I think they're trying to push maybe the upward bounds of like how much can we throw this pitch without losing effectiveness on it. Uh, and when you know you have a guy who hasn't had success, at least recently, you can afford to experiment. You know, they've, they've got Barrios for years. So you might as well try some stuff, right? Yeah. And so I think that is something to some degree that they're trying right now. Although at his second last start, that wasn't as much the case. But that's one thing I point to. I think, you know, the whiffs are back. The slurve, they're really, really hammering it. I mean, I, yeah, I'm not ready to say, yeah, Barrios is the same guy he was when the Blue Jays first traded for him and it's going to be great. But through all of last year, we said over and over again, there isn't, this really obvious compelling reason why this train is off the tracks like he hasn't lost his velocity hasn't lost his stuff uh it's not clear like you know when we talked about when we talk about Manoa and we'll get to him a little bit like his stuff the quality of his stuff has just been lower this year and that's something that you can point to that's very obvious now neither of us can tell you is it going to come back and what mechanical uh, adjustment will that take yada yada you, you know like that's a little bit above our pay grade uh but we can point to this thing this is what's happening last year with barrios there wasn't an obvious thing where you're like this is exactly what's going wrong everything went wrong and there are a couple things that seem to be going right this time but that doesn't mean i'm ready to say you know what he's a locked in middle to top of the rotation starter again like you, we just need to see more of it no, you're you're absolutely right, and, and the slurve is the one thing, as you say, you know, that has been sort of working all year. I remember, you know, a few starts ago, Mike Petriello of MLB.com tweeting about, you know, like I don't know where these fastballs are going, and showing, you know, the 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 heat map or the the pitch chart for him, and he's like, but look at where these slurves are, and they were all, you know, exactly where they should be, and it's it was like he's like, I, you know, your guess is as good as mine, but I would love to see him throw like seventy five percent slurves, and that was sort of you know half joking, of course, but also. Uh, not surprising that the the Jays having similar thoughts like oh throw your best pitch a lot more uh, until it becomes untenable to throw it as much as you are and then find find your balance somewhere there uh, and maybe that's what they're doing it's, as you say also uh, <laughs> they got some time to tinker. I mean I remember talking to Matt Bushman a couple of years ago and he was kind of saying that same thing where like I'd love to see a pitcher just come out and throw his best pitch eighty percent of the time but you know, catchers and teams and stuff are scared to do that because they think if they do that, 
and it goes wrong, they're going to look like idiots, right? Like if you do something that's kind of against the conventional wisdom and it goes wrong and people say, look, we, there's a way we've done this for years. What, you think we're all idiots? Of course, when you try this thing that's totally different, it's not going to work. And I'm not saying that that means the Blue Jays are going to lean on Barrios and have them throw like 100% slurves, but it is kind of food for thought that there is a little bit of a way games are called that's just kind of constrained by conventional thinking and maybe Barrios's strengths at this point of his career are just unconventional for a starting pitcher. Yeah, man. I'm just having a flashback to, you know, talking about bunting in 2008 or like <laughs> or like not not use not saving your closer for the ninth or or uh, all those uh, orthodoxies that did sort of sort of eventually disappear at the big league level at least. Uh, that uh, had to be sort of literally chiseled away at year by year, uh, bit by bit. Um, yeah, I, but I, I think that's true. And also, while speaking of, you wrote about uh, Jordan Romano and his uh, slider-heavy appearance, which was a good piece there uh, this week. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he came out and threw 14 out of 15 sliders, and the one fastball he threw got hit. And I think we, you know, there is, I'm not going to say that it's an over, you can oversimplify it to the point where the pitches don't affect each other, but I think for a long time, we've just believed that like, oh, well, these off-speed pitches are only good because the guy has established the fastball. And some of these pitches... Where, just... where have I heard that before <laughs> on my television, I wonder? Who knows? It could have been anywhere. <laughs> um, but but that was, again, that's sort of... And, and I'm not saying anyone who has said that in the past is an idiot. Like, you know, that, no. as a baseball fan, that's what I grew up and I believe too. Like, you got to pound fastballs down in the zone. Like, that's what I grew up believing about baseball. And I think over time, we've come to realize that some of these pitches, some of these secondary pitches that guys throw at this point, especially, you know, the way people are molding the movement and the grips and you no, know, there's so much science in it at this point that they're so nasty that you don't need them to play against anything. They're just good on their own right. And I think that Barrios' slurve is a little bit like that. And Jordan Romano's slider at his best is a little bit like that, where it doesn't really matter what else the guy is doing. The pitch is good for its own sake. And, if you just spam it, like that can absolutely work. That's, I mean, and he's, he went against it the other day, I think, or in his last like, a couple of outings ago. But like Tim Mesa is another one who uh, uh, was, was throwing 90% sinkers at, uh, at the start of the year, and, and which is somehow even higher than it was last year. Like he's, uh, uh, he's one of those guys as well, which uh, were rarities. And you don't, you know, uh, I, looked in, I looked into it or. I don't know. Do I have, maybe I asked the hey, the stupid chappy GPT bot. I don't remember. But uh, but there's a, there are some guys who are one pitch pitchers and, and can get away. Mariano Rivera, obviously very very famously so. Uh, maybe he was onto something. I think uh, I think that is food for thought. All right. So the other guy in the rotation that has been lighting it up, and by lighting it up, I mean coming off one really good start, uh, is Yusei <laughs> Kikuchi. And I remember the sort of sense of dread in Blue Jays land when the, you know, the Rays at 13-0 and are coming into town. Like, man, this team has been incredible, and we're going to throw Barrios, and we're going to throw Kikuchi, and then we're going to throw Manoa, who's struggling. And Kikuchi delivers this really, really, really strong outing. And all of a sudden, again, you know, the the overall stats don't look incredible by any means, but... You know, this is a guy who's had a few outings now. The hard contact is still there, still scary. But that's even him at his best. I think that that's kind of a feature, um, not necessarily yeah. a good feature. But I think that's something that kind of is going to happen with him. But you know, he's walking less than five percent of the hitters he's facing. That's almost inconceivable based on what he did last year. 
Uh, it looks like he's integrating the change up a little bit more this year. That's a pitch of his that's always been interesting. It's just a more balanced repertoire, like a little bit less fastball heavy. We just talked about pitchers spamming one pitch, but he's kind of been the opposite. He's diversified. And, you know, all the talk about how the pitch clock could be good for him, we'll never know. You know, we're never going to be between his ears and understand like him thinking, oh yeah, this has really synced up my uh, mechanics and it's given me focus and prevented me from overthinking. Like these are questions we don't have the answer to, but anecdotally, it sure seems like it's working. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think part of why uh, you know, he's been able to diversify is because he's not as behind in counts all the time because he's actually finding the zone and, you know, that sort of uh, snowballs sometimes, you know, you, you you keep missing with your fastball. Now you got to throw fastballs to get back into the, into the you know, try to get back into the count um, unless you've just completely given up on it and you're, now, you're, now you're just out there lost trying to flip sliders at guys. Um, but yeah, it is. It has been very interesting uh, to watch. I do think that just the, the straight up command, uh, and whether that has anything to do with the pitch clock or not, I don't know. Because obviously, you know, and I don't want to take anything away from him. Because like everybody, you know, they'll always say this about everyone anyway. But uh, you know, all his teammates, all the staff, you know, anyone talking about it is like, you know, he went he went out and and worked really hard in the off season to you know to get himself to where he can be you know more effective and more in the zone and more repeatable and all these things. Um, and so credit to him for that. And, uh, and, and we've talked about, uh, I think all winter and all last year, you know, how it wasn't the same as Robbie Ray, which is the guy who gets compared to a lot, obviously where Ray had, and I'm, I mean, I've probably said this 15 times on this podcast, so I apologize, but like, you know, where he had all that time where he was with the Jays organization before the free agent year and was able to work on what they wanted to work on throughout the winter. And Kikuchi didn't have that. And maybe having that uh, has been uh, beneficial for him. You you would have to think so. I mean, otherwise, what are, what are we even doing? Why, why do we have a pitching lab? Um, but yeah, I, I mean, when it comes down to when I, you know, when I picture you know, what the, what the difference is, unlike Barrios, it's just like, you know, look at, look at, look at his fastball heat map for 2023 versus 2022. And it's like, it's uh it's about like like six inches narrower on either side uh and that's 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 probably got a lot to do with it yeah when you look at kikuchi's heat maps right now and and that as an activity it's not something i recommend i think that heat maps can be (laughs) overused because you know often guys are doing very different things against lefties and righties for instance Mm -hmm. we don't know where the catcher set up like it's very I, I like it for an individual game, but for a whole season, it can be a little bit tricky. But when you look at heat maps for Kikuchi, like you can envision what he's trying to do. And last year, that wasn't the case. Like last yeah. year, it was abstract art. So this is a, this is a, yeah, it's a kind of a new day for him. It's just a few starts at this point. Again, like everything this season, we got to see more. There's going to be ups and downs. But there was a world where Kikuchi came in this year and he came out for a couple starts and he looked like the exact same guy, just not ready to compete, not ready to give his team a chance to win games, just not able to pitch deep enough to the point where he's really hurting the bullpen. Like that easily could have happened. And that's not the situation we're dealing with. We're dealing with a situation where he's his literal production is, you know, kind of fine for a fifth starter. And the production you could envision based on the talent and some of the underlying numbers in terms of strikeouts and walks is is quite appealing for a back of the rotation starter and 
you know, there is a there is a higher ceiling for him, but I, I don't think that we should get ahead of ourselves and start thinking about mm-hmm. Yusei Kikuchi middle of the rotation starter. That's a whole <laughs> that's a whole other jump that needs to happen, and I don't think anyone needs to walk down that road just yet. Yeah, you're right, but uh, but you're also right. You know, the the heat map. I mean, it's 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 a little more scattered, but you know, fastballs up, uh, slider slider to the glove side, change up to the arm side, uh, both down and. Uh, that's kind of that. That's kind of a fair place, a good place for a guy like that to live. And uh, if he can just do that over and over again, that that will be uh, that will give him a really good chance of of being a lot more successful than he was last year. So on the flip side, uh, the guys who are supposed to be at the top of the rotation or middle rotation that have done less well, you've got Manoa and Bassett. I don't think Bassett requires too much of a dive as well because he's, you know, I just talked about how Zach Pop had this one horrible outing and that's just going to mar his stat line for weeks to come. Bassett's first start was like that too. Like his first Mm -hmm. start was so dreadful that it's just going to take a while for things to come around and the velocity has crept up. It's not back where it was last year. It's still at least somewhat an area of concern, but I do think that he... He looks more or less like the bass that you'd expect over the last couple outings. And when that's the trend line going from terrible to kind of meeting expectations, uh, he's not someone I worry about too much from a Blue Jay standpoint. Like I, I think from here on out, you're just going to get approximately what you thought you'd get from Bassett, which is what he did with the other teams he was with, but slightly worse just because it's under harder circumstances. Yeah, and that's why you know Barrios and Kikuchi are so much harder to clock because because we don't know. I mean, Bassett had a bad outing or two or, or whatever, however you want to term that. Um, but yeah, when you say meeting expectations, it's like meeting expectations that are extremely well established for years and years and years. So like a couple start blip uh, in a sea of you know solid average performance or slightly better uh, definitely makes you uh, makes you feel better when it starts you know to go the way you expect it to. Uh, and yeah, I don't think anyone should be really worried there. And uh, uh, I hope not. Not that we've ever seen a three-year contract blow up in the Blue Jays' face. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, uh, happy with Bassett so far. Uh, there'll be there'll be weird ones, you know, it, it, but it's, uh, uh, he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of tools in the arsenal there. So that does also help him. He's, a, he's an interesting pitcher to watch as well in that sense. Yeah, I think he's a lot of fun to watch actually. Like I really like, you know, him having the really slow pitches too. Like the, I mean, it's not at the Zach Greinke kind of level, but it's not something you see every day. And uh, he is fun to think along with, and he, he must be difficult to think along with if you're hitting against him. He's, yeah, he's not someone I'm super concerned about. You probably want to see a few more strikeouts from him, a few more whiffs from him, get that K rate kind of into the twenties. Um, but I just think his numbers are so kind of are so funky based on that first outing. Like I, you know, his average exit velocity is actually now above average. It's 52nd percentile. Now that's not an incredible number by any means, but he was at basically one, right? Uh, After the (laughs) first outing. For a guy who got shelled in his first outing, he's only been three or four. Yeah, I think we'll see what happens with him. But, you know, Manoa is the guy where, you know, we're four starts in yet. We really haven't seen it. The velocity continues to be a problem although it did bounce back a little bit in that last outing you know we're so used to that Manoa magic of him just because of the way the slider moves just the deception overall like he just has been a soft contact machine 
And so even when he doesn't strike a, a bunch of guys out, like last season, he very much did not strike out many hitters. Uh, there was this confidence level that balls in play against him just weren't going to be particularly dangerous. And that, you know, his, his baseball savant page is all blue right now. Like it, he's given up a pretty high exit velocity average. It's 89.8 right now. You know, that's not massive by any means, but we're looking at an expected ERA of 801. Like this is even over four start span. Uh, this is some pretty nasty stuff. Yeah, it, it is. I'm still not, you know, especially worried about it. I'm like whacking my brand. I should have called this up. I forgot. I forget what I wrote about it after his last start, but uh, uh, I'm sure I tried to put as positive a shine on it as I could uh, because it's early and it's, uh, I just, I bristle at the, you know, the, the, the negativity that, get, that people get into, but it's, it is absolutely, you know, a fair question, especially, you know, looking at that blue page, looking at, you know, as uh, you know, the, I did not know that the expected ERA was quite that bad. Um, but it also, I mean, I think with the, with the velocity ticking up, that's really, uh, reassuring, you know, and that's, of course, as we've talked about before, uh, you know, this week's like a, that, that, that can be a thing for him as velocity is a little more, um, like fluctuates a little bit more than maybe some other guys and he can get away with it that way. Um, but had it continued to stay down, I think that, you know, then you start thinking, okay, is there, is there something mechanical or is it, is there an injury there that we're not seeing? And you do see that he's having some trouble. Um, you know, he's always picking at the landing spot and doesn't feel, just doesn't seem like he feels quite right in terms of, uh, getting that repetition. I thought Steve Phillips of all people who, I mean, maybe I, maybe that's back in a compliment, but, I mean, uh, it sure is when you say of all people, it's pretty yeah, unambiguous. But, yeah, I guess so. Um, but, uh, I thought Steve Phillips of all people, uh, had a pretty good diagnosis of what was going on with Manila and, uh, in his piece for TSN this week, where he really got into like nuts and bolts stuff. And I'm like, isn't this isn't this Steve Phillips who like, like Jesus, don't don't make me call up his GM track record. Um, but it showed a side of him, and maybe I just don't read his stuff enough. But but showed a side that was like it's like, oh okay, you're you're talking about pitching mechanics and 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 the mental aspect of it and the physical repetition and talking about. You know, just just be his delivery being out of sync and his arm behind his body and and how these are like, you know, just little subtle things that should be able to be corrected over time. And with repetition, I think he said maybe you should do an extra side session instead of just one every week and uh, and add some, you know, some good theories and some interesting advice in a way that like I in my uh, acknowledgement of just complete lack of expertise on stuff like that would have never been able to be. Uh, as as like confidently espousing like i you know i'll i'll, I'll point out your problem but I don't, I don't want anybody to believe that i can diagnose or fix it yeah i mean i because he's that guy like you said that has the velocity fluctuations i do think that there's some level of inconsistency kind of baked into him you know he's a bigger guy too sometimes that's the case where guys who just have these big frames it's just tougher to sync everything up properly I would not be shocked uh, by any means if, you know, two starts from now, he's absolutely rolling again. The velocity bounce back in the last outing was big because the kind of two-start run he had there was really discouraging compared to his norms. The slider's just not the slider right now, and that's tough because that's his pitch. Like, that's, you know, that's always been his pitch is, uh, you know, the, he only has three strikeouts on it all year. That's, you know, that's just not going to be enough for him, even if he's not as strikeout-reliant as some guys. I, uh, yeah, I continue to be relatively, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what pessimistic means in this context because I never really expected Manoa to replicate his 2022. It was just too good, uh, too much coming together at the same time in the right way. 
but yeah, there's still, I'm not feeling that like, okay, he's definitely right the ship and he's just on the way back and it's just inevitable. Like the, the quality of the stuff is not quite there right now. And I, I think, like you said, we're not necessarily in the best position to say exactly how that problem is fixed, but the problem persists and, uh, it would, it would behoove him to have a good start or two relatively soon. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Yeah, I think so. And now you reminded me when you mentioned you know, that he's a big guy, and yes, that the syncing up is is potentially a thing. And the thing that I mentioned in my piece with Buck Martinez had mentioned on the broadcast, and that Steve Phillips got into, uh, is the pitch clock and his pace. And I looked at his pace last year, and you know he was one of the slowest working guys. Like he's a big guy, and and Buck suggested on the broadcast that you know. He, he maybe he you know part of the reason he works so slow is to just get a breather because it's there's a there's a lot of physicality to what he has to do when he is that giant slab of meat that he is uh and that perhaps there's an adjustment period with the, with the pitch clock where he's you know got to work a little bit more quickly than he is comfortable and maybe that has been part of what's you know uh helped to degrade his stuff a little bit and that 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 seems plausible and also seems like something that you know over time should be correctable and he could you know get used to get up to speed basically to so to speak yeah i mean we saw last night on wednesday with uh the astro starter garcia like he had to totally change his entire delivery right because it wasn't right. no longer legal and so pitchers are able to make these type of adjustments even if they might seem radical um and yeah manoa will like i think I think that is plausible to a degree. Like there is a lot that goes into his delivery and he did work slowly before and he's not going to come out and say, right. He's not going to come out and say this pitch clock here is really screwing me over. Right. Like it's the sort of like make no excuses ethos for at, like, it's just, there's no advantage in him saying that. So we'll never, we'll never know for certain. We'll never have him just say, Oh, this is, this screwed me over and I'm having a bad year and it's all Robert Manfred's fault. Um, so you blame a lot on Manfred, but not that you can blame Manfred for why you can't watch the Blue Jays game on Friday. Absolutely. We'll see where that goes. Um, one thing I like about this podcast is that although both of us do write a fairly high quantity of stuff, it is not the, this is what I wrote this week podcast, which, uh, can always bother me. Not, not great for an audio medium, but I'm going to make an exception here. Cause I thought you had a very inspired idea. To, oh, no. to talk to uh, <laughs> chat GPT about all things Blue Jays. I had a lot of fun kind of skip reading through this piece. I'm not skimming. Skimming. <laughs> there are, I mean, there are a couple of times where chat GPT got a little bit loquacious. And yes. uh, it was like a 10,000 word piece. Yeah. But I did want to tell, ask sort of overall what your experience with that was in terms of like the level of insight you found, how weird it was. Uh, yeah, what was the most interesting thing that cropped out of that? Because, I, I mean, I guess to an extent, ChatGPT is kind of spitting back what already exists on the internet. And yeah. so it's kind of like you're fiddling with a consensus or conventional wisdom machine in a way. So what was, I don't know, what was kind of your takeaway from that? Because I just thought that that was a, a fun little experiment. Yeah, he's a dick, that fucking chap. <laughs> that is partly what it is. Like you, you call him on saying something wrong, and he won't admit it. Uh, that that was like, or she, you know, they won't admit it. It was it, that that was the most interesting part to me, um, because like I mean, and you can see at one point in the piece when I'm talking, I'm talking, or I'm prompting it for answers about Blue Jays TV revenue, and it just says the wrong number. 
Uh, and I'm like, oh, and I, I initially was about to like move on, like, oh wow, wow, Blue Jays, two million, almost three million dollars in advertising every game, and I'm like, hold on a second, how does that, how would that work, and especially how would that work based on what you said, and then it's like, oh, sorry, I was wrong, I meant this, and it's like, well, and then I tried to, and I cut a little bit of this out, was trying to be like, okay, but then how, like, explain to me how you got that first number, like, what did you, what was the wrong input on your end, uh, and it would not tell me that. And, you know, uh, it definitely is, it is a bit surreal. I mean, it, it's, it's trash. I think I, I, I definitely don't want to like talk about it as though it's, it's meaningful. It, if I had more confidence in what it was able to, to pull up, uh, I think it would be pretty, pretty interesting because, you know, it was, it, you know, it, it's a pain in the ass to be like, to find splits really quickly or micro splits or, you know, what's this guy's, you know, I think I've talked about, uh, the break on, Kikuchi slider in, the, in terms of like Statcast data and stuff like that, I could see being you know having utility, uh, but not until not until you can ask it the same question twice in a row and not get a different fucking answer. But because that was kind of happening, and I talked about Bobuchet playing second base last year did not happen. Talked about Gosman being a, a, with the Giants last year, obviously not true. Talked about hometown pitchers. Uh, you know, Mariano Rivera. I mean, he grew up in Panama, but uh, but he was drafted by the Yankees, so he's a hometown. You know, it, 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 it's it's dumb. It's dumb and trash. But uh, I don't. I, I advise students to not uh, to not submit any ChatGPT written stuff uh, for your classes. But uh, it was it, it did a very reasonable job of like having a conversation about that kind of stuff. I mean, you can you'll have worse conversations with someone in a bar. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, and that's fairly true. I, I mean, I have to say my my kind of personal agenda reading this piece of yours was just how easily could I be replaced by this this chat sure. GPT? That's kind of that was the angle I was coming at it from. And I was I don't know, it was of two minds. I thought one, yeah, a lot of this stuff is very stupid and it's not interestingly presented. And I feel like I can probably last in this industry for a couple more years. Uh, but then on the flip side of it. There was stuff in there that I thought, you know what, you would see this in a piece, not a good piece. And I'm not like out here trying to like call out people whose writing I don't <laughs> like in particular. But there were some insights where I was like, yeah, this is the sort of thing that someone would say about Kevin Biggio or something. Yeah, like there, it, no. it wasn't it wasn't good and it wasn't always accurate, but. I don't know. It, it may have exceeded my, maybe my expectations were unfair. I've never messed with a thing before, but there were a couple times where I thought like, oh, this is a little, this is an attempt at an insight that is not dissimilar to poor attempts at insight by humans. <laughs> I, I mean, I think there's still an uncanny valley effect there that, that if, if it's fucking CGI in movies is, uh, is any indication will never go away. Um, but, but, and, and, and also to, to allay some of your fears uh and to you know to praise myself to pat myself it, it requires like some decent prompts to actually spit out something like as useful as that i think uh you know someone with those the insights to which you uh uh which you are <laughs> which you are referring uh might not have been able to get it to spit out as interesting stuff because a lot of what it gives you back is what you're feeding it I think, and that's maybe maybe I'm being a, a, a jerk about that, but like I, you know, I, I know a little bit about some of this stuff, and I think that you know it it would not work as well for just anybody to be like, tell me why, you know, Kevin, you know, you have to prompt it to look up the data that 
that it needs to answer the question that you're asking it. So it's like, you know, it's just, it's fake. It's garbage. So I, I might not, I may lose my job to chat GPT, but then I could get a new job trying to get Pro- chat GPT to do yeah. stuff. Okay. That's, right. that's comforting. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> All right. Before we get out of here, let's just tee up the weekend a little bit. The first series against the New York Yankees, a team that's been performing kind of similarly to the Blue Jays. You know, there's the Tampa Bay Rays division of the AL East right now, that that tier rather. Uh, And then below that, there's both these teams. And the Yankees, I mean, they've got this impressive team on paper. I mean, people want to deny that because they hate the Yankees, but they do, especially on the pitching side. But man, the walking wounded component of this group, like position players, Donaldson, Stanton, Bader, you know, pitchers that matter, Montas, Rodon, Severino, Loisaga, Canely. Like, it's, it's hard to have these many injuries to players this good and still stay in the mix. And to the, to the Yankees' credit, they have some, some depth pitching that isn't terrible. Like, there's a lot of teams who would lose this many pitchers and be in a much worse situation. But this is a good time to be running into New York, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, if there if there ever is, and and yeah, to their credit, to the credit of their their rosin manufacturer, whatever it is, um, they yeah they do seem to continue to do well. And this has been a thing. I mean, you you know when you have when you point Giancarlo Stanton, you know you're going to have to uh, cover for injuries at some at some point, which I suppose you know one could say about say George Springer, but uh, but yeah, no, they they they've been pretty impressive in being able to. Uh, uh, keep rolling even without all those guys. I mean, I don't know that Josh Donaldson not being there is uh, a huge loss at this point, but uh, but yeah, I, I think uh, with all those guys on the shelf and with, and this was mentioned a few times, I think on the TV side uh, on, with, from Dan about uh, in the Tampa series is like, now you're only playing 13 times a year. So each, each of the, you know, against your in-division opponents. So each of these games is, is just that much more important. Um, so, you know, you'll take any advantage you can get, especially, you know, here we go, game one with Kikuchi once again. Um, this, yeah, this I, I think it should be. It should be. Yeah, it should be a really interesting series. Um, I don't think anybody should get dismayed if it doesn't go well. Uh, but uh, but yeah, opportunity is absolutely there, and it's. I mean, it's always fun. Jays uh, and Yankees in the Bronx. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, we like to think that they're our rivals, and they like to sometimes acknowledge that we exist. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, that's probably a good way of putting it. You're never going to break <laughs> through with the Red Sox, right? I think that the Blue Jays, uh, I mean, compared to the Red Sox, I think no, the Blue no. Jays should really be aiming for a, a rival with the Rays because that makes a lot of sense. It made more sense when Charlie Montoya was there, although he's hardly like the type of guy to really stoke a rivalry. Um, no. But it was kind of cool having him in cash. Now you lose that, but still, like you know, the the Rays are looking for a rival too. The the Blue Jays are looking for a rival. Let's just make this happen. Um, yeah, though I mean, it would have been better when you know it seemed plausible that Montreal might happen. But uh, well, now there's a now there's an empty city in Oakland that uh, that that's maybe going to swim ahead in the pecking order because of those garbage people owning that team and just completely giving the fans the finger. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's really, really brutal. That's brutal. I mean, the last, the last thing I do want to say on the Yankee series, and just kind of, I can imagine a scenario where the Blue Jays lose two out of three in the series, something like that. That's, but probably the fair expectation when you're on the road against a good team like the Yankees. And it's, I think it's just worth reminding people that the discourse around the team, like every team, this is not unique to the Blue Jays. I, I think that it probably circulates 
around the schedule more than people realize. Like the Blue Jays tend to do well when they're playing bad teams and not as well when they're playing good teams, especially on the road. That's just true of every team. So it's it just, I find it interesting. Like I could have looked ahead in the schedule, like going to Houston, going to New York months ago or whenever the schedule came out and said around late April, like early twenties in April, people are going to be feeling pretty down on the blue Jays. Like I wouldn't based on, <laughs> based on no information. And so yeah. if things don't go well in New York, I would encourage people to not get too down about it because that's, you know, it's just a tough stretch of the schedule and it's just the way things happen. And I, at the moment, I'd be inclined to say that more things are going right for the Blue Jays than not, though not to a dramatic extent. I mean, most of them will be down because of the Leafs anyway. Hey. hey. <laughs> All right. Let's get out of here. Uh, we will talk to you guys again next week at approximately this time because we have uh, become more responsible adults in, in, as the season has started. So you're welcome for that. 